Hello and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Visit by GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on Visit by GES and its smart event solutions, head over to visit.ges.com. So a very good morning, afternoon or evening to our podcast watchers and listeners wherever or whenever you may be tuning in from. Don't forget to stay up to date with all of the latest content from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the Event Industry News app, which is available for all the major mobile devices. You can, of course, get your opinions to us as well using Twitter via at Event News blog. So today's podcast guest recently hosted a focus group between 43 European festivals and a group of 14 to 16 year old festival goers. During the session it became very clear that many of the 43 festivals were on a different planet when it came to providing and understanding their customer needs. So do organizers really know the best way to communicate with their audience and should they seek more guidance from their audiences in order to shape their operations? Chris Kemp specializes in human movement and has a PhD in cognitive psychology. He is the author of 12 books ranging from punk and hardcore through to crowd management and education. Chris, a very good afternoon and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's nice to be here, even though it looks like I'm in prison. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, 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 that aside, let's break out of this, that, that prison for a moment and dive straight into looking at this particular subject. When you say you had uh, organizers and teenagers on a completely different planet, let's first of all find out what those planets were. What were the subjects being talked about and how did those opinions differ so greatly? I think when you look at pre-event delivery and then you look at what happens on the event and how you clear up afterwards, there are very different feelings by those youngsters than there are to people who are promoting events. I think one of the most important ones uh, which came up was the initial element, which is about the way in which we market to people. Because when we were talking to them, we were talking about Facebook, we were talking about all sorts of different platforms, and they just don't use them. So when we were asking them if they receive the information on festivals through their platforms, the answer is no, because none of the people there realized that they were using different platforms to the one which they were using to deliver their information about the festivals. Now, that's quite interesting in a way, because what it shows us is things are changing very, very quickly. And a lot of people now who are coming to festivals, and a lot of people, if you take Ross Kielder, for instance, with the accident in 2000, most of the people now who go to that festival won't remember it. Some of them weren't even born then, mm -hmm. and others were just children when this kind of thing was going on. So any historical possibilities of understanding why things are done the way they are is very difficult for probably pre-millennials, millennials, sorry, for pre-millennials and the new post-millennials because they are seeing things from a different point of view and the way in which social media has changed so quickly has meant that many of us are left behind by the kind of things that are taking place and the ways that people are finding out information. We did a survey many, many years ago. If you go back to kind of 2006, 2007, where it identified that about 64% of people were finding out about festivals through um, 
social media and the internet. Now it's 100%. It's changed so quickly. And the use of paper and journals and other ways of finding out about festivals is decreasing. I mean, I picked up a copy of uh, Time Out in London this morning. And the way that that, the NME and other papers are changing is focused very much towards the new markets to try and get those people to engage with them, to find out their needs, their wants, and the way that they, we can capture that knowledge and utilize it. But again, as soon as we've captured the knowledge, it changes. So we've got to be one step ahead or with these people as we go through. And it was fascinating. Uh, it was Andy Metzger from... Um, from Switzerland who identified that this was a good uh, element for us to have at the seminar and it was priceless to watch people just sit there thinking I had no idea this was what was going on I mean I was just flabbergasted I just sat there and thought I had no understanding that we are so far off catering for the people that we think are our audience so it was a really different way of looking at things when you say catering, can we look at catering for the audience? Can we look at some of the, the actual specifics of this? I mean, what, 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 what did they think that they were doing right and, and how was that being completely misinterpreted or, or was completely wide of the mark? Um, are we talking about information about how to get into a festival, about the location of various stages? Are we talking about simple stuff or more detailed elements? Some of it is simple generic stuff and others is very detailed. Um, if you look at the way that people behave now and the way that we're used to people behaving, it's very, very different. Um, I think the crucial question came at the end because the question that was asked was, um, what is the one thing, if you were to name it, that you dislike about festivals? Mm -hmm. And the answer was old men groping us who are pissed or on drugs and we'd have to move as far away as we possibly can because they think this is acceptable. And people in the room just kind of looked at each other and thought, this happens at our festival. This happens a lot because people take it for granted that it's their right to do this kind of thing. Yet the girls who were there just said, you know, this isn't what we go to festivals for. Many of us don't drink anymore. So there's a big delivery of people there who don't drink alcohol, uh, who don't take drugs, um, who want different kinds of food. And to identify that, can really then drive how you buy things in, um, how you, lack, you stop the waste products from being um, delivered, all this kind of stuff. And I, I found it fascinating because many of the festivals are catering for certain audience, which is an audience which is now past, um, but still delivering the same thing. Because if you think about putting an event on, we've always put events on the way we put events on. There's got to be other different ways. Do we think about them? The answer is probably not because it's always worked, we've always sold out, and things have always gone well. There must be other ways of doing this, and there must be different things that we can put into festivals to make them compatible with the new audience coming along. If you think about welfare, dealing with people um, has changed dramatically. If you look at the way that some festivals put up uh, films on the screen, this is your first festival, you're drinking or you've taken drugs, these are the numbers to ring, this is the place to go, these are the people to see, to try and identify with the crowd that they're helping them to, to do and to meet the kind of people that they need to meet. Um, some people are still putting it on the back of tickets. Uh, mm. Some are on, on the internet. But how many kids read the tickets? How many kids are actually looking at things that are on paper? 
how many more kids are actually wanting things that are immediacy that are on their phones so that they get a message which says problems this is who to see this is where to go to so it's kind of changing the way that we look at festivals and embracing more the social aspects of it and the way in which kids today are really needing to be catered for because that kind of thing um, is very very difficult to understand because once we've had it ingrained in us that this is the way that something works it's very difficult for us to change it because people don't like change mm. but if you change is happening all the time so many things are happening on the internet so many different ways of contacting people bullying people pushing people towards buying tickets doing the right thing the right way all of these things are very much in their faces all the time constantly there's millions of bytes of stuff coming through that they're looking at they're changing they're checking with making sure they're safe um, and that's quite an important aspect in their lives and that did came, come across with that comment at the end that they didn't want to be molested they didn't want to be in areas where they were being pushed and crushed they wanted to do different things a lot of the events I've been to this year have been very different in the way that people are moving towards music many of the people didn't even leave the campsite they bring their own music they play it lots of people gather around where they're playing it and they have their own festival within a festival and that's kind of over the last kind of 10, 15 years, that's become more and more prominent in some of these areas. Um, I was working at Lambeth yesterday um, at the country show. And that was really interesting, how the ingress and egress changed, but also how the main focus of it was one reggae stage. And it didn't matter how many people were in or out, that stage gradually built towards the end of the festival until it was full and the main band came on. Everything else was transient and people moving in, moving out, families, and it was a real multicultural feel. And you could see that people really cared about what was happening, and there were lots of people helping with other people, and it was very different from some of the festivals that we see. So things are changing. Um, things are changing well, but we really need to get to grips with how our audience is operating and what changes are going to come into play over the next two to three years. What, one thing I'd like to, to ask, and, and I'm going to go back a few minutes here to, to almost the, the very first first comment you made, and you were talking about Facebook. You mentioned Facebook, um, and I just want to clarify something. Were you suggesting that festivals are not using Facebook at all, or they're not using it to their uh, to, to the maximum capability in terms of the information that could be fed on there? Because I would find it very hard to believe that any music festival in 2017 is not using Facebook at all? Well, we found out that none of the kids are using Facebook. That was what came across. Right, okay. They're using other platforms. So they are using Facebook, and they're getting to certain parts of the audience, but the kids aren't receiving it because they don't use Facebook, they use other elements. So what we're talking about here is understanding that there are so many different vertical strands of communication now, whether that be Snapchat, WhatsApp, Twitter, various other media platforms um, that they are choosing the most popular, for example, maybe using Twitter and Facebook, but not identifying the fact that a large percentage of their audience are getting missed by them only choosing to use those particular streams. That's right. The interesting thing about Snapchat, it's finite and it only lasts a certain time. And what's happening is people send each other messages and then they disappear because the new messages come in, new things come in. So 
the actual window to get a message across is becoming more transient mm -hmm. and these things are moving all the time and things are changing and people are moving onto different platforms so to catch up with that you need 13, 14, 15 year olds to kind of support the festival in getting to those people because it's fascinating to hear them talk. I mean, watching the confidence in these kids and what they liked about festivals, what they didn't like, um, a lot of it's about new bands, about transient elements that have come, they're there maybe for a couple of months and then they've gone. So they've been part of that and it's moved on and they've moved on to other things rather than kind of the headline band meaning everything to them it's more all of the different things that are taking place and many of the festivals that I've been to this summer are changing the way that they put music on so there are fewer headlines but lots and lots of little different bands that are attracting small elements of the community of the music community to see and look at and interface with and that's quite important do you think that's reflective of the way young people consume music now? And there's a lot been been made in in, in the music industry about the fact that, that teenagers or young people tend not to consume albums in the same way that we would consume albums even 20 years ago, that because of digital music, they listen to a track, then they skip to another track, then they skip to another artist. They create their own playlist of multiple artists. And this is now starting to be reflected in the live music industry with festivals where we've got multiple options that people can skip from in much the same way as they would use their, their device to listen to music. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the main things behind this, if you, if you look at HMV and how the shops changed, I remember when I was a kid going in and sitting in like a bus queue kind of thing with a headset on and a, a disc in front of me that was going around on a turntable and I was listening to it and I would listen to the whole album and then come out of the shop. Now, they don't have anything like that. They've even stopped the listening posts in many of the shops because people don't use them. Because it's so much easier to go onto something like Spotify or something like this, press something, and then bang, you're in. Yeah. And that's been a really, real you know, change in, in what's taking place. Now, the other thing about this is consuming music isn't as important. The, the areas that we used to look at, the concept album, the band, um, all of those different elements are not as important now, it seems, as the experience and the intensity of what you're getting out of the music. So those small elements of intensity are really important. It may be you only like one track from a band, so you want to hear that track, but the rest of it isn't important to you, so you're going to move on to something else. Hence you have playlists, hence you have all of those elements, and the album or something in your hand is not as important. I mean, to me, downloading music is brilliant, but... I love to have the gatefold sleeve or I love to have the CD so I can pull out and look at what's there. That doesn't seem important anymore. Just being there, being able to interface with the artist on stage, being able to then move away, share experiences with other people has become very important to kids. It's interesting because I went to, uh, last year I went to an ACDC gig at Wembley and we were doing some crowd profiling outside looking at what people were wearing and it's all very similar and the way people are but there were three different types of audience there was a very young audience which was kind of uh, 9 to kind of 15 then there was the secondary audience which was 15 to about 40 and then there was the next audience which was 41 to about 80 and the young kids were crowding around the old ACDC fans with all of the um, denim 
on with badges covered in badges and asking them what these badges were and what they meant and when they'd been there and listening to stories about it. So that tradition of passing down those elements was really important to that group. And it's interesting because heavy metal is very different. And I worked at Wacken Festival last year and it doesn't matter whether it rains or it snows or it's 10 foot of water there and you have to swim back to your tent, they love it because it's about the music, it's about the genre, it's about the whole experience of being a heavy metal fan. And the way that they help each other, and if there's an incident, they will support people. It's kind of a culture mm. that really drives that forward. Where in many of the different smaller types and subgenres of music today, that kind of thing doesn't exist. It's just get in there, get it, get out again, get back in somewhere else, get it, and get out again. So it's changing massively in some areas, but not in others. So you will always have some genres of music which have anchors in those areas, and others which are transient. So kids will be in both of those areas, so you have to cater for both of them. So that's how it kind of is now. Uh, Chris, I'm curious, just going back to this subject of, um, uh, of, of safety and, uh, and security and, and, and uh, looking at the comments made in this focus group by some of these young people. Um, and there have been incidents recently that have been reported in the, in the uh, industry press regarding assaults and, and incidents of this nature occurring. Um, a lot of crowd management companies and security companies employed at festivals take a priority on crowd safety and the management of crowds and security. And we hear these words spoken about an awful lot. We very rarely hear the word welfare used, crowd welfare. Is this yeah. something that, 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 that cropped up in there? And is it something, I mean, do you have an opinion on this, whether or not we should be focusing, yes, on safety and security, but welfare as, a, as, a, as an almost um, uh, level playing field to the others? I think welfare has been very underrated over the past 25 years. There's a lot of really good people in the UK, like Penny Mellor and people like that, who do a lot of welfare stuff. Um, when you go to European festivals, welfare seems to have a higher profile um, and is very focused. I mean, at Roskilde this last week, um, I was interviewing people from the different areas, from welfare and from first aid, etc., uh, in the control room. And the welfare people were saying not only are they welfare for social elements, but they're welfare for psychological elements as well, because the two are very much interlinked. And the delivery of their job um, is, is quite interesting, because rain and sun are key elements that change how people feel. If it's, if it's not sunny and it's dull and it's rain, they feel sad and depressed. If it is sunny, people tend to drink a lot more, and then it causes problems with over alcohol consumption and drugs. Mm -hmm. So they were very aware that this is the kind of thing and the psychological issues that this can, can actually deliver. Um, and talking to them was very interesting because they're all volunteers, but they're all professionals. Um, and there are big teams of these people on the site um, who are doing an incredible job. But their point of call and contact is usually the security company because if anything gets out of hand, it will usually be violence, a fight, or something like this which they can't deal with and they will have to bring those people in. So that interoperability at festivals is really important, especially where you are people concerned. Um, I see it at most festivals I go to, there is a good welfare presence, um, but it's dealing with all of the different possibilities that you can have, especially with young children. 
um, and you've got a number of issues with young children, um, safeguarding issues, etc., that need to be adhered to, lost children announcements, making sure the right people are picking them up, all of this kind of activity. Because going to your first festival as a child, I mean, I can remember my first festival, um, it's like you go into a place where you don't realize you can't hang your coat up. You go into a place where you realize um, that it's very open, it can be cold very late at night, it can be, it can be boiling hot um, when the sun's on you and you're in a lot of people. So the security companies do an awful lot within the crowd to ensure that people are safe and that there aren't young kids at the front being crushed against the barrier um, and that when you have something like Justin Bieber or somebody like this, then you, you actually have in there, you have people who are able to deal with that kind of activity. I mean, at Wembley last year, I remember when Justin Bieber, not Justin Bieber, sorry, at One Direction came on stage that lads and girls were fainting in the audience, had to be pulled out and didn't even see the gig because it was all too much. You know, allowing parents into that area with people who are, who are slightly of a slightly younger age or um, shouldn't be there at all actually, but it's difficult to, to get the parents to, to let them out um, because they brought them there specifically to see the band um, and they're then there at their own risk because you can't force somebody out of those areas. So it's, it's very difficult dealing with that kind of thing and the security team have got to do that and the stewards are trying to manage that whilst the gig is, is going on at the same time. Hmm. Um, but it's also the issues with periphery because if you look at something like human spatial mapping, if you send a child under the age of 11 to the toilet and say, meet me back here, no way, because they haven't got a human spatial map system in their head because it doesn't come in until after that age. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen is they'll go to the toilet, turn around to come out, and they won't even know where they are. So yeah. it's, getting, it's getting parents and also other people to understand that on the periphery of the event, there will be lost people. Um, at a major arena in Fieldside um, eight years ago had 3,500 people left at the end who didn't know who they'd come with, where they were going, what they'd done, what their phone number was, or where they lived. And that's because this is a big deal for kids. You know, you come into a festival, it's huge, and it's something that's very different. And at the end of the night, you're going to get that kind of thing that you have to deal with. The welfare is really important. It's nobody's fault that it happens, but it's it's just it needs to be dealt with at the end of the night. And I've I've known welfare people who've been there till four o'clock in the morning dealing with this kind of thing because it's such a big issue. Well, uh, that that I think extends um, into not just children but young adults as well, and and even up to the age of eighteen, nineteen years old. And and the reason I say that is that I. I can reference it because I have two young children of my own. I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old son, two boys. And over the years, I've heard a lot of different people say, oh, kids today are not as streetwise as we were when we were growing up because they've got access to instant information. They can find bus timetables on their mobile phone. They don't have to walk to the bus stop and know how to look at a bus timetable on, a, on an actual bus stop. But in general, my, my point is is that kids today are less streetwise, I think. And so when they're going to a music festival, even if they are 18 years old, they just don't have the, 
the same skill set that 18 year olds 30 years ago would have had going to school uh, going to a festival if you can follow me there and there's a very very different way that they would search for information I know a lot of festivals pay attention to the signage that's in the festival site to direct people in certain ways but you'll probably find a vast majority of youngsters if they wanted to find something on a festival site wouldn't look for the signage they would get the phone out their pocket go to the festival's app and search for where is the first aid tent and if they can't find it within 30 seconds it's mass panic yeah no I, I understand this um, I've seen it happen I mean the difference between my children and my grandchildren and the way they interrelate when going to events um, is very very different because they look at a different set of aspects and find a different set of things and are tuned into different elements that they are there for which are very different from each other and I think when you, you you made a very good point there that people are less savvy now the one thing that we don't know is are they less safe because they're less savvy hmm. because if you think about it it's always been dangerous to go to a festival it's always going to be because loud music lots of people about drink drugs you know what could be more unsafe but what could be more brilliant you know, yes. and it's trying to find that that happy medium between how we deal with this kind of thing because the last thing you want is the old type of security and crowd management at events where it's you know like the kind of bouncer type that is there to protect the stage not yeah, the, the hell's angels with the rolling stones you know you know and and that's that's not what we want because um over the last 15 years we did a, a piece of work many many years ago and asked how safe people felt at the front of stage with the security teams that were on. And it came back that about 46% of people felt safe. The last time we did it, it was 100% of people felt safe. And mm. they could go to people and ask questions, and be helped by these people because they're customer service. It's all about the customer now. I mean, at many festivals, the crowd are known as guests because they are guests. They're there for a total experience, which is supplied by lots of different people and given in the best possible way. So they're guests and they're paying guests, which is even more important because that is where your next money is going to come from next year's festival. Those people who are attending are more likely to come back than other people. But at the bottom end, you have a big turnover or change of people coming to the festival. So you do have maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven percent of new people coming to the festival, and that churn is going to happen continually because people drop out, go to other festivals. If you think about how many festivals there are now compared to what there were 10 years ago, there must be eightfold more festivals across Europe than there were then. And that's because the music industry itself has changed. Artists can't make that much money out of providing music through the various vehicles that they have, like radio, um, the internet, phones, all that kind of stuff because it's not like the old way of making music. But what they can do when they go live is they can charge big ticket prices to bring, bring people in to make money, and that's what it's about. So, but the other thing about it is you cannot replace a live performance. A CD, a download, an album, whatever it is, it does not come anywhere close to the live performance, and that's why people go. I've been there, I've seen it, I've done that. And that's what's important. And kids going to 50 or 60 different bands during the show, the shows, 
moving from one to another while I'm bouncing. You see the migration patterns across the site to go and see as many of these people as they can in some, some areas. is really important to them because they can then say to people, I listened to that, wasn't particularly good, but this was brilliant, so I'm going to have a little bit, bit more. I'm going to tell my friends about it. Going to go on the net and look this up. I'm going to, I'm going to stream it to somebody else. Have a look at this song. Absolutely brilliant. So they have at their fingertips ways of sharing music that we never had when we were kids, and that's a very important thing for them because my son used to sit in the front room and he'd have his phone up. I say, "What are you doing?" He said, "I'm showing my friend what I'm watching." So he's like, "But you can tell it." Oh no, I'm just showing him this bit, and then I'm done. You know, and and, and that kind of thing is so different to what we were used to. Um, have, having established and having realised that there's this issue, following on from this this focus group that you did, what needs to be done, what is being done, and how have you been able to react to that focus group in the short term? Difficult in the short term because it happened at in January. Um, but what we did do is we shared with people um, what had come out of that group. But we've also been working with some of the festivals to produce a questionnaire that they can ask youngsters this year on their preferences and the kind of aspects that they're interested in. The other thing is that we're putting together a final questionnaire, which will then go to our next uh, YES seminar group, which is in um, Germany, um, mm -hmm. the Reeperbahn Festival. Um, and we'll be looking at that and giving it to people to use if they wish to do so, uh, so they can find as much information as they possibly can about their kind of audience. Also, we put some information up on um, LinkedIn, and there's been other articles written on this that have gone out all over the web so that people can access it just to see what happened at that seminar. Because I would think out of this this one coming up, well, the, the one after this um, in Holland at Nuderslag, Udersonic Nuderslag, is our 25th seminar. And out of all the seminars that we've done, I think this was the most groundbreaking session and the most interesting session that we've ever had because it just showed that we don't know it all. We know a lot, but we actually don't know everything that's going on, especially at the bottom end. Um, because people's tastes are changing, the way they access music is changing, um, the way they, they buy music is changing, and the way they want to interface with it is really important to them because music has always been the key thing that binds people together and it will not change because memories come from, uh, bring music back to you, music creates memories and all of that kind of thing so music has a massive part to play in the development of, of the way that people grow up and I think that's such an important thing what you read, what you do, some people are totally immersed in everything it's all online now, you can get to it very easily rather than having to buy the NME or buy sounds or whatever it was in those days to look at what was going on you've now got total immediacy you don't have to wait for a tv program if you miss anything on the tv you can access it again so it's really in your face it's there and easy to access so people are there 24 7 looking and listening to music one um Tying in some of these various elements together, so the subject of communication, the subject of security, welfare, safety, um, there was an incident which I'm sure you're aware of um, that, that has reportedly took place uh, during the Love Box Festival uh, in London's Victoria Park last weekend where the security staff or a member of the security team there 
um, has had an allegation of sexual assault made against that, that member of the security team by a festival goer who's given a very, very detailed and what appears to be you know, a very con uh, coherent account of, of what happened uh, and what her experience was. Um, and if that's the case, obviously it, it's, it's not something that we want to see and the festival at the moment um, are investigating it and investigating with their security provider. Um, on that subject, with that story now being out in the public domain and various other stories and this, this experience as was highlighted in your focus group of, of young females feeling intimidated or, or under threat or, or that these instances happening, how do festivals work to communicate that they are safe to people to reassure them? Because when things like this spread and go viral, for, for want of a better phrase, it can instantly create um, bad reputations, it can put people off going to certain events. Um, how can the festivals work hard to actually communicate that they are taking a hard-line approach to this? Because if they can communicate that they're actually clamping down and they're taking very, very positive action against it, that's going to reassure people, isn't it? So um, I, I, I guess what I'm asking is how, how are they addressing that? And more importantly, how are they going to address the issue of how they communicate their action to their audiences? Okay, now, there's two parts to this question. I think, first of all, if you look at some music cultures where you get um, crowd surfing, at a number of festivals I've been to, there's been women who've got up to crowd surf and most of their clothes have been removed while they've been crowd surfing, they've been groped and then they've been pushed over the barrier at the end, dejected and then led out by security staff because of what's happened to them going across there. So some audiences in a way are delivering this kind of elements because they feel it's part of their culture so that that aside um, one of the things that did come up in the seminar was that a number of the festivals asked what they would like to see what the, the respondents would like to see the festivals do to support this and the key thing that came up was to have points of contact across the festival site where if you were molested or there was a big issue you could immediately contact and somebody would do something about it. So this summer they were looking at that in parts of Europe on how that takes place. How do you get in contact with somebody? How do you show that there's somebody there that you can go to? Because the only way that you can stamp this kind of thing out is by shame, naming and shaming the people who are doing it. And the only way to do that is quick response. So that as soon as something's happened and you report it, somebody's there and they're on it and they're taking that person away for questioning to find out why it happened, what happened and what the two stories are. So there are a number of deterrents as well you can use. I mean CCTV is a huge deterrent because if you've got CCTV pictures then of all of the sites, I mean some sites are so huge that it's very difficult to do that, but where you would most expect this kind of thing to happen then you have evidence of it happening as well if it's reported. So if somebody just reports it for no reason, then you go on to CCTV and say, well, where is it? You show me. You can see you coming over there. There's nothing happening. Or, yes, we've spotted it. We've identified the person. And then they look for the person in the crowd, bring them in for questioning or whatever. Um, it's not, I would say it's a rare occurrence, but it's not. It happens a lot. Um, and a lot of people get very distressed by it, especially younger people, and also kind of between 18 and 25, where they're actually being kind of invaded by this this kind of element, which is 
it feels very invasive to them because they didn't come out for that to happen and they came out to have a good time enjoy themselves and then they end up being molested or even raped as has happened this this summer in Europe on a number of okay Chris I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a second here um, there will be hopefully a very small group of very small-minded people out there who are of the opinion that if a young female chooses to climb on tops of the shoulders of thousands of merry festival goers and go crowd surfing across a big group of people that she is putting herself in a very very vulnerable position and perhaps that that small group of small-minded people would argue that if she chooses to put herself in that position then you know if anything happens then they need to that that's maybe her fault now that's not my own opinion on it but there will be people out there with that has this cropped up and have you been able to consult at all with uh, the general public and with audience members on, on that on that particular uh, train of thought this is a very dangerous road to go down and it's one of the reasons why this Swedish festival for women only is going to happen right and think the, the reason it's a dangerous road to go down is why does anybody feel they have the right to molest somebody else who is enjoying themselves mm -hmm. because okay <laughs> funnily enough we did some interviews in the crowd at one of the festivals this year and we asked girls you know about had they been molested and some of them said yeah it's horrible we don't go up there anymore because you just can't enjoy yourself and we're really not used to it one guy said that a bunch of tarts if they get up there they deserve to be raped okay that's the kind of difference you have in attitudes to this very sensitive element and if you think about it and you think about the gender differences and the way that the trust people have in the audience because many people who might be there for the first time many people who've been there and nothing has happened to them before they trust people in that audience yeah, they're going up on top, doing things which is fun, which is you know part and parcel of what the festival is all about. And then they get molested. Now, is this a fair thing to happen? Anybody can say, you know, looking at somebody walking down the street, say, look at her, what she's got on, she's asking for it. Now, that's just self-expression that they're doing. I mean, my daughter has blue hair and wears very strange clothes, but. That doesn't give anybody the right to come up to a molester. You know, she's she's just being an individual and showing what it's all about. And it saddens me to see that it's got to a stage whereby people are saying this kind of thing. Because this shouldn't be in festival, there's no place for it. Um and people should allow to be allowed to be individuals and allowed to do what they feel they want to do in those areas within reason, but not that it crosses boundaries that are not part and parcel of the norms and values of our society. Uh, Sorry, strongly uh, about this. Uh, absolutely, and going back to this point of, of reaction times, again, I'm, I'm referencing um, the, the, the allegations surrounding Lovebox um, last weekend, which, uh, looking at the, the account given by the young lady in question, um, she stated that it took over 40 minutes for her reports of the assault to be addressed. Um, and claimed that if the same urgency and seriousness as it that was applied to drugs was issued for assaults and derogatory attitudes towards women, perhaps the problem would be less severe. So, is there that there appears to be a, 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 a in the wider instance, um, 
I don't know what right way to phrase it, but but festivals are not reacting as quickly and as strongly to these reports uh, as they should be doing. No, you're absolutely right. And if you think about the terrorist attacks that have taken place recently and the quick response times of the police to those, who've done an incredible job. If something like this happens, people don't take it seriously. But it's really serious to the people that it happened to, and the response time should be as quick as possible. So it should be there then immediately, and we have to find some way of enabling that to happen, even if it's a series of response teams who are there on site for four or five reasons. And one of those reasons, if somebody is molested, they're there immediately. And they're radioed, and they go to the response point, and they talk to the person, and they make sure they get the person who's responsible for it. That response time is really important. Um, and at one of the festivals I, I was at this summer, they were, the police were talking about their response time to an incident at that festival. And when something happened, they were there within 45 seconds. One of their teams was there in that time. Which means that if there are a number of response teams about that festival, they could be in specific places around that area to be there as quickly as possible. The only difficulty is if the site is massive, if you've got 120,000 people on a site, and it's like a small town, or as Roskilde is, for instance, it's the third biggest city in Denmark for five days. Mm. You, know, you, could, you could have 44, 50 acres of site to get around, including the campsite. So that's quite difficult. But having teams and having the right stewarding and the right people in the right places across that festival site means it's easier for people to contact somebody if something's happened and for that message to be quickly moved and escalated. If you can't expect somebody who is just a steward to deal with something like that. You need somebody responsible. I'm not saying stewards aren't responsible, but you need somebody who has the right attitude to be able to deal with it now and will have an effect on what happens. Because if a police officer deals with a manager or a safety officer or a supervisor, then there's more likely to be some kind of action taking place because it's been escalated. Hmm. If you think about a terrorist attack, it's the police. The police are the people who go in and deal with it because they're trained specifically to do it. So these people need specialist training as well to be able to do this in welfare and what to do and how to deal with it. And I've seen this at a number of sites um, that the security team has people there who do deal with this and they're very specialist trained, especially trained for it, and they can deal with it and make things happen. It may be that you even have to have medical attention or you have to have, uh, have to be seen by a doctor because of what's happened. And that has to happen quickly because leaving somebody in that kind of situation for long periods of time can be so distressing that it must be focused on immediately. And it's, it's a really important thing that we get to grips with it and make it happen. But it's not just at music events, it happens at sports events as well, it happens at, at city festivals, it happens at greenfield sites where there's no music. These kind of things are, are happening all over the place because they're easy praying grounds for people who do that kind of thing. And in the same way that um, negative uh, incidents can be amplified and, and could put people off going to a festival, a festival taking positive action and seeking to improve response times and taking hardline approaches to this particular uh, subject, that that will amplify to a positive effect, won't it? It will actually, it, it, it will give, it will reassure customers uh, and it will actually um, improve their own reputations. 
No, I think you're exactly right. One of the biggest problems that we've got is everybody focuses on the negatives. But actually, if you go to a festival, there could be 100,000 different things that take place that are really positive. One negative thing's happened, and the security team are focused upon immediately. And they forget everything that's been done to make the festival a success. There'll be one thing that went wrong that is focused on. If it's something like we've just been talking about, then that's rightfully the right thing to do. But if it's not, and it's just a small issue that's been blown out of proportion, then that isn't the right thing to focus on, and the positives need to be developed. You have quick reaction times, places where people feel safe, places where they feel they'll be listened to and heard, then that kind of thing will get around festivals really quick, that it's safer to go to places than it is to other places, and people will vote with their feet unless everybody joins in and makes those festivals safer. It's um it's time to to round up today's episode of the podcast and um and give our thanks to Chris Kemp. Chris specialises in human movement and has a PhD in cognitive psychology. And we've been we've been looking at the communication um, of festivals um, and particularly uh, reflecting on a uh, on a consultation and uh, focus group that uh, Chris helped to organise earlier on this year between forty three. European festivals and a group of 14 to 16 year old festival goers and some of the outcomes and some of the subjects that cropped up as a result of that which we could spend hours discussing I'm sure there's a wealth of material and information that uh, that came out of that, that that focus group Chris tell us how festival organizers tuning into today's podcast could get get in touch with you and, and find out a little bit more about the content that that focus group created um, you can contact me on our website, which is www.momconsultancy.com or chris.kemp at momconsultancy.com. Um, or you can phone us on 07834140598. Um, or you can join Europe and come to our Europe seminars or YES seminars. Or you can come to the open seminars, and the next one of those uh, is in Hamburg at the Reaper Festival. Uh, in September so people are welcome to come along there are only 40 places at this seminar so people are signing up at the moment so if you want to come please feel free to sign up and you can do on the website Fantastic. Chris, thanks very much for your time today. Um, the Event Industry News Podcast is sponsored by Visit by GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on Visit by GES and its smart event solutions, head over to visit.ges.com. Visit and uh, once again, a reminder about the Event Industry News app available for all the major mobile platforms. And if you've got any opinions and comments and you would like to get in touch with us about today's episode of the podcast at event news blog on Twitter or visit eventindustrynews.com and get in touch with us and uh, we'll probably put some links up there as well to uh, momconsultancy.com uh, I think you said Chris um, so that uh, so that people can find out a little bit more about this particular subject and um, I'm sure Chris at some point in the future we'll have you on another episode of the podcast perhaps with uh, a, a group of guests because your particular area of expertise in this particular subject that we're looking at is extremely relevant to festival organizers at the moment and thank you very much for uh, giving us a bit of an insight into that focus group and some of your opinions today. Thanks very much. Lovely. Time to round up today's podcast. Thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.